This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. We want to welcome our online listeners today. And I have heard that we have a few more groups that have joined us from India. So we appreciate you being a part of our podcast today. Our message is titled, Looking Down on Others. I'm going to teach you how to look down on others. No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm going to teach you about why people look down on others and how the only way not to look down on others is simply to look up. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. People who look down on people are confessing with their behavior that they are earthy. They're natural, and I don't even want to say the third one. Someone look up James chapter 3, and I believe it is verse 18. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So what this tells us is that anyone who is arrogant is lying against the truth. The truth being interpreted there in the Greek, in the Hebrew if you remember, truth means troth, means to be engaged. So when Jesus is the truth, he's saying he is our groom. That's where we get that. In the Greek, truth that is being represented here is literally the life of Christ the groom. We are lying against Jesus Christ if we're arrogant. Has everyone got that piece? But there's something you have to have in your life before you become arrogant. And those two elements are? Jealousy and selfish ambition. ambition. Why do people look down on others? It's because they're jealous. There's something they're saying, there's something they're doing or they have something that they want. They become bitter because of that. Then they become arrogant. Then they are literally lying to Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Now, when we look at the next verse, which is not too pleasant, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and what's the next one? Demonic. James is Jesus' half-brother. He was known for telling the truth at all cost. James was also known to be a prayer warrior. His nickname was Camel Knees. He was constantly on his knees praying. So to be called Camel Knees was a compliment. This man is speaking such profound truth about the how come we look down on others. It is shaking the foundation of those who were listening to him. And it should still shake the foundation for those who are listening today. It is earthly, it is natural, and it is demonic. So people who set their affections on looking down on someone are saying, I'm very earthy. They're confessing they are an arrogant person. 
And they will actually say to you, well, it's very natural, isn't it? Don't we all do that? Anytime a Christian says to me, well, don't we all do that? They're already confessing this passage to me. They may have not been taught on what the power of this passage means. But rarely do you hear someone say to another, oh, well, that's demonic. You know, if they're talking about someone, gossiping, I believe that's what it's called. So it is also lying against Jesus Christ. So rarely do you hear someone walk up to someone and say, do you realize what you're doing right now is demonic? No, we leave that for the charismatics. And I'm not trying to offend the charismatics that are listening today. But charismatics tend to not be afraid to use the term or word demonic. But I'm here to tell you the very fact of the matter is, is anyone who is caught up in selfishness and bitterness, they're going to be arrogant, they're going to lie against Jesus Christ, and Jesus himself is saying this is earthy, natural, and demonic. This is very critical. He's, James is saying this is not the kind of wisdom that comes down from above. Pastors are guilty above any body member. I'm telling you this. I've counseled them for many years. Pastors, elders, deacons, leaders of churches are most guilty of looking down on others who aren't smart enough, studied enough, equipped enough, or are embarrassing their position. They have the tendency to look down on people. Now these words can be offensive to some that are listening, and I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm simply saying those that look down on others are not setting their affections on things above. Plain and simple. Let's take a look at our theme for today. Attitude of the week. People with pride think they, they are usually right in their own eyes. They think meekness is weakness and classically look down on others. So arrogant or people who have lost their humility, which is how the Greek puts it, people who have lost their humility need to find it. And the only way that I know to find it is through the passage of brokenness. And that's just something that most of us really do not want to talk about. Humility. People of humility and brokenness look up to others. They see meekness as a strength and see themselves on the same playing field as the most lowly of heart. So if you could find the absolute most lowly of heart, some guy sitting on the side of the road begging for bread, he's blind, he hasn't taken a bath in six and a half months, the guy is just a wretched, lowly mess. For some reason, our husband, Jesus Christ, was attracted to these types. Not occasionally. He was attracted to them all the time. In fact, Jesus made a point about ministering to the lowly first. And then he worked his way up the ladder. And then when he finally got to the Pharisees and Sadducees, as you know, some of them did get saved. But the numbers, numerically, when we talk about numbers, the higher you get on your social ladder, the less salvations there's going to be. 
And that's why the higher you are on the ladder in the church, the higher you are on the ladder in society, the more tempted you are to look down on others. The more difficult it is for you to hang out with the lowly. Heartland Family Fellowship's number one priority outside of Christ in you is serving those who fall or have fallen through the cracks. So it doesn't matter if it's in this building or if it's in another country. Our goal is to minister to the people that fall through the cracks because they're lowly. I'm not embarrassed to say I am lowly. It is not a bad thing to be lowly. There's greater favor down here than there is up here. And I can prove that to you historically, biblically, and circumstantially. It's a very, very simple principle. Now let's look at Acts chapter 26, verse 14. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads or goads. Now, he's actually on a mission to go kill a few Christians because he killed Christians for a hobby. And he's on his way to do some more of it. And all of a sudden, there is this language that is spoken. And someone please tell me what this passage says the language is. It is Hebrew. It is ancient Hebrew. And the reason why God spoke to Paul, Saul, in this ancient language, this original language, it tells us two things. Number one, it is the language God speaks. It hasn't changed, and I believe when we get to heaven, we are going to discover that the language spoken in heaven is ancient Hebrew. God knew that Paul and those of his thinking, Pharisees, communicate to each other in ancient Hebrew because it's the original language. It literally proves the whole teachings of the ancient languages of Hebrew and why through so many centuries it got to the point where you have modern Hebrew that has absolutely very few associations with the original pictorial language. In fact, if someone walked up to me and started re reflecting or reciting or speaking or asked me to draw out a Hebrew, modern Hebrew sentence, I wouldn't be able to do it. I don't have an interest in modern Hebrew. I don't. I have an interest in lowly Hebrew, pictorial Hebrew, and so does God. When God wanted to blow him off his horse, he spoke to him in an authentic language that he knew, Paul knew, Saul knew, there's only few of us that know this secret. It's powerful. He took him from his high position and literally blew him off of his horse through the power of the Holy Spirit. He falls to the ground. Once he's on the ground, once he's lowly, once he's as the lowly, God speaks his language in his ear and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When you look down on another, I can promise you before the Lord Jesus Christ, you are looking down on Jesus Christ. And you will not get away with it. I don't care who you are, how big you are in church, or how small you are, you will not get away with it. God will not be mocked. 
Paul had to be put on his face in the dirt from which he came in order to hear the voice of God. When God is speaking to you and, and your mind is drawing pictures in your prayer time with him, I can assure you it's in Hebrew. But he is transforming, translating, the Spirit is uttering words unto the Father one word and into your mind another because he understands how humans learn human, earthly, natural languages as a result of Babel. It's how simple this is. We have complicated it beyond measure. And God says, you lift yourself up, I put your face in the dirt. Not because I hate you, Paul, because I love you. Why are you hurting my people? All God would have had to do is just boot him once and he would have ended up in the pit of hell in, the, in, in a split second. But he wasn't interested in that. He understood the gifting that was placed in Paul before he was born, like with Jeremiah. He was misusing it to hurt his children instead of lift them up. So what did God do to Paul? He put Paul in the position for two years, as you know. He was blind as can be. Two years he was put in a position of having to literally look up to people through his blindness which creates dependence. And then after that, God sent him out to the desert, remember? For some more talkings. And then when he came out of the desert and he thought he was ready for ministry, he had to go and stay under the discipleship relationship of Barnabas for how many years? Twelve years. But it was a lot of years. Because there was so much arrogance in Paul that had to be sanded off, buffeted, off, as we know. Well, it is true that Jesus had a habit of going after educated people and then dumbing them down. But there are absolutely zero scriptural guidelines, guidances, encouragement to get saved and then educated. And I know I just got in trouble for saying that, and I'm going to get some texts and emails now. Go ahead and send them, but I'm telling you, God chooses educated people because that education can be used in a very powerful way, but rarely does he save someone and tells them to go get educated at the University of Alexander or wherever. You see, even though most of my education happened after I got saved, it's education is not a sin. It's what you do with it. But there's more educated, unemployed, suicidal people in this world than we ever have had before. The highest rate of suicide, this is such an old statistic, it's ridiculous. The highest rate of suicide in the world today is amongst PhDs. Because they think the higher you get on, the, on that ladder, the more worth you have and the more people will pay you to hear you speak. And God wants us kicked off our horse, face in the dirt, and to remember where we came from. Dirt. The humility of dirt. So don't be insulted by God if he puts you on your face in dirt. Say thank you. And don't let me leave this dirt 
until transformation occurs in me. Do you know the knowledge of the Holy lives inside you if you're a born-again Christian? I mean, seriously, do you know that? The mind of Christ? Philippians 2.2 2, The mind of Christ, Jesus Christ, is in you. Does someone want to raise their hand right now and say, we need to educate Jesus Christ? We need to get a few degrees for this guy before we can let him talk through us. That's the difference between Christ and you ministries and you doing for Christ ministries. You doing for Christ ministries says you must get saved and educated and smart enough to communicate Jesus Christ. Christ in you is the mind of Christ is in this mortal body using my voice, using my brain, using my spiritual gifting to transform the lives of others. Peter and John were accused of something so significant by the educated society that they were almost persecuted on this day that they were accused of it. They said, you must have been with that Jesus. But they first said, you are untrained and uneducated. You see, the lowly blind ones the lowly diseased ones, the lonely uneducated ones are the ones he wants first. So whoever is listening to this message, you need to know the more lower you are, the more valuable you are to the Christ in you ministry. Because you are not following Jesus, you are having Jesus work his life out through you. I will never say Jesus Christ needs a degree. I will never say Jesus Christ has to go to a seminary. But I also know Jesus does not mind educated people. But it's how it's used. So if you're using your education to glorify, to look down on people, I pray this day God brings you to the dirt. I don't care who you are. Because that's where it needs to start. The higher you are, the more dust you need to suck in your nostrils. Paul was pretty high. He was the chief Pharisee. That's a lot of uh, dirt sucking. For a lot of years. The less you are on the totem pole looking down on people, the more you are down on here. There's no reason to take that blind man and lift him up and say, Now I'm going to take you right back to the dirt. There's no reason. But here's something that blows my mind away every time I read it, every time I see it in a film clip. Jesus reaches down and he grabs a hold of a fist of dust and he spits in, in his hand with the dust and he makes this mud. And then what does he do? He puts it on the blind man's eyes. Do you realize what is being said here? Think of the story of Paul. The fact that dust, the most lowly aspect of man, where he came from, the molecules and dirt, literally, scientifically I'm saying this, are found in humans. The same are found. It's one of the creation scientist things that they use to communicate to smart men that we came from dirt. We have molecules of dirt. Jesus is taken where the man came from and took spit and made mud and put it on his eyes and he was healed. 
The healing of man is in his humility. It's in his lowliness. It's in being nothing. He who thinks he's something when he's nothing, Galatians 6.3, deceives himself. It's demonic. He who thinks he's a somebody when he's a nobody is suffering with earthly, natural, and demonic things. This will bend the ears of the greatest, most powerful leaders in the entire world. But I'm afraid to say they're not going to listen to it. Humility. The word humble comes from two Hebrew word pictures, and it is anav and shah. Now let's take a look at those. The anav is a nail, vav, life is noon, as you know. Life is the highest point of light in the Hebrew. So you have nail and life and the eye. Of course, we read it backwards, remember? Shach is the fence or the teeth and the teeth, which as we read it backwards, here's exactly what we have. Looking to life of what is nailed in order to destroy the wall or the fence. That is Hebrew for humble, to be humbled. It is actually looking to the highest life. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. We are looking to the nun, the life, the light. What is nailed and what was happening with Paul is he was beginning to experience the co-crucifixion with Jesus Christ as he was sucking up that dust. He was being experientially involved, invited into his not I, but Christ. He just didn't know it at the time. Of course, he became the number one teacher of the exchange life after that, as we know. Christ in you. And it was to destroy this wall. See, Paul had a wall between him and God. Paul had a wall between him and other Pharisees. Paul had a wall between him and his family. He, he didn't have one. Paul had a wall between him and, and his followers. I guess they're followers. Paul had a wall between... You see, he had walls everywhere because he had to protect his own righteousness. He had to protect his own perfection. People make your life messy, so therefore you have to put walls up so they don't get into your lives because they'll mess up things. Pharisees have very high walls. So to be humbled, we are looking to the life of Jesus Christ who's actually tearing down the fences the walls that are in our life. You have a wall, and if you think you can go on with your life every single day with that wall in your life, like the, the, the couple that I was unreconciled with, God said, it's not going to happen on my shift. You want prosperity to happen with this little fellowship? You will put your face in the dirt and look up to them. It's where I started, it's where you started, and it's where we return when it's all said and done. Very powerful. Meekness is absolute power under perfect control. Now usually when you see a meek person, it, you're, you, I'll just speak for myself. I used to look at meek people and think that they were kind of sheepish, kind of weak. And I'd say, why don't you stand up for yourself? Realize how earthly, natural, and demonic that, that, that term is? 
or that question, why don't you stand up for yourself? You have rights. Set up borders in your life. Set up limitations. You shouldn't be taken advantage of. The last I read a gazillion times is that we were called to be taken advantage of unto death. So you see, our whole Christian society has produced books and sermons and teachings that say, protect yourself, you have rights. Americans have rights, I'll give you that. But he who demands their right is always going to be wrong. Because see, right comes from the term righteousness, perfection. I, I can't demand my perfection. I have to live in it in Christ Jesus. Okay, now we're looking at the, the slide, fighting humility. And it says the one who fights with humility is the one who denies the absolute power and perfect control of God himself. So if meekness is perfect power under perfect control, fighting that is we are actually fighting the power and authority of God. The best way to find out if someone is a true indwelt Christian is you ask them to do something that's impossible. Any good preacher knows that. It's how Christian leaders oftentimes test those who are following them for Christ's sake is to give them something that is going to take the power and demand of Jesus Christ in order to get it accomplished. You get to find out if the person is a works-oriented person or if they're Christ in you oriented person. Humility and the soil. Humility is the fertilizer and meekness is the soil that the seeds of truth, remember the scripture where it says, for we possess the seeds of righteousness? I don't think he was joking. They're in us. The seeds of truth need to rest within in order to produce new life. Jesus said it in a different way, certainly, equally, if not more power, <coughs> powerful. Excuse me. And that is, least a seed fall on the ground and live, die, it will bear forth, no, bear forth no fruit. See, it's not just getting the seed in the soft soil. First, we have to take that hard ground and we have to make the soil soft. That's the breaking process. That's the plow breaking the soil, turning it over, and then cultivating it until the soil is nice and soft. Then the seed goes in there. Well, we're still not done. So if you, if you know a little bit about how the whole uh, agricultural world works is that when a seed goes into the, into the ground, it needs two things. It needs heat and it needs moisture. The nutrients in the ground are, duh, supposed to be. So the heat comes and just bears down on it. And then some moisture. And then the heat just bears down on it. And then some moisture. And then the heat bears down on it until that seed cracks open. It goes through a death process. It cracks open and the new life begins to shoot forth. But the interesting thing about new life from a seed, it does not come out of the ground. It goes back into the ground comes out of the seed, bends over, goes back into the ground because in its own creation, it knows it needs the nutrients every day to build a root system. 
Then from that root system, it demands to shoot forth to the nun, to the noonday light. It's a very powerful principle. It's a simple principle, and it literally is a principle that brings new life. So humility is the fertilizer. It's the fertilizer that is needed. That brokenness process, that tearing down the fence, that putting our face in the dirt is the fertilizer that is needed for all this other to happen. Pride in the soil. Pride is like a hard-packed soil in which seeds of truth uh, can find no rest. They are pecked away by the first friend of deceit. Most preachers know, this is not a new concept at all, that well over 90% of their, their parishioners, the people listening to their messages, after they turn their computers off, after they get up from the pew, they are just as lost as when they came in to sit in the pew. We all know that as preachers. Well over 90% of everyone who hears your messages is going away just as dead as when they came in. What we have to ask ourselves as leaders is, why? And then come up with solutions to fix the problem, which is called discipleship. If you're not being discipled, you are one of those 90%. You think you can disciple yourself? You are deceived. If Paul thought as as brilliant as he was, as educated as he was, as packed full of the Spirit as he was, that he could live without Barnabas, he would be a deceived man. He cannot. He could not. And God, most importantly, did not want him to live that way. You will die in your success if you are not discipled. That's the facts. Absolute power of the seed. The planting becomes what the seed requires of it. The nature of the seed is the nature of the shape and the fruit of the plant. Genesis 1.11 And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, New life, next generation. If you're not producing new life in someone else, seriously, what are you worth? What's the point? So I'm not trying to insult anyone. The fact is, if you're not producing seed as a plant, what's the point? It's no wonder that suicide has increased 700% since 1979. There's, it's obvious why. Because people are not giving their lives away to another producing seeds. Why aren't they? Because they're not being discipled. That is the greatest fruit of any discipler is to see his seed being multiplied in other plants. Timothy, go find a few faithful men who you can entrust these seeds, the truth, and so forth and so on. I stand here today because of Timothy. And Paul. And Jesus Christ. That's how it works. Looking at the fall again. Satan's seed. It says the seed that came from the fruit. From the tree of knowledge. Was pride, deception, and arrogance. I call it the trinity of destruction. Pride, deception, and arrogance. Because he deceived Eve with the... With the uh, 
triosomy is his rotten chromosomes and God put hatred between her seed and Satan's. And of course the verse in Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity, hatred, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. That is where God wants the wall. That is where God wants the division. He doesn't want us involved, engaged in this chromosome problem. And that's what it is. It's three chromosomes. It's a trichotomy. It's a, it's a tri-description uh, of Satan's three primary down, uh, consequences of his downfall. And that is he became pride, he was deceptive, and he was arrogant. He looks down on people. Why people serve him every day in churches, outside of churches, in government, why people serve him every day when his whole goal is to look down on you and to use you like a slave. Not a servant, a slave. He's using you. When you're suffering with pride, arrogance, and deception, you are being used by the enemy in a very significant way, at least for him. So pride breeds loneliness. When Satan, who had been cast out of heaven due to his pride, and since pride breeds loneliness, he sought companionship by tempting Eve to join him in his dark place. He knew that Eve would have to eat the fruit that contained the seeds of pride in order to deceive her husband, which would provide the uh, fertile ground for Satan to bear the fruit of pride, deception, and arrogance for every generation to follow. Very, very simple. Satan had to deceive Eve with the, that trichotomy of, de, of, decept, of, of destruction. He knew that once she got it, she would turn around and do exactly the same thing with her husband. Which Adam turned around and handled his affairs exactly the same way. What was the consequence of that? You had two sons. You had Cain and you had Abel. Cain carried out the seed of darkness and Abel carried out the seed of righteousness. Cain kills Abel, remember? This works and Satan knows it works. You don't plant a banana tree and get apples. It's a very simple principle and it works 100% of the time, every time. Once Adam and Eve knew the difference between good and evil, the poison seeped into every cell of their mortal being, destroying forever the blessing of humility and dependence on God the Father. From this day forward, Satan was assured that mankind would habituate looking down on each other just as he, Satan, did with God. That is where it started. Satan looked down on God. So he could make the statement, I can be as he. It's easy. I can do just as good a job as Finney. I can do just as good a job as my husband. I can do just as good a job as my boss. I can do just as good a job as my daughter. I can do just And that's where it starts. So you look down, then you can say, I can do just as 
you're already falling through the crack. It's already happened. Now every human would have to be broken. There's only one way out of I can do this. You have to be broken. So there's no doing in the I can. There's only doing in the I can't. And you'll have to pray about that phrase. There's no doing in the I can, only doing in the I can't. Formula for success. God's seed or his word. So seed in Hebrew is word. And you take word, find the Hebrew definition for word. It's God. It's the great ox, the most powerful ox. So God's seed is the word plus his power equals Christ's life. That's why Jesus became the word to dwell among us so we could behold his glory. Christ's life plus indwelling is new life. Not Christ's life plus following Christ. That's the spiritual formation movement that's going on in the world is to have people be Christ followers. When you're a Christ follower, Satan knows that all he has to do is replace the Christ. Do you understand that? Satan knows he can't touch Christ in you. He can't replace that. So he wants the church to be Christ followers. Christian identity, follow Christ. That is not what we're talking about in this formula. It is Christ's life plus him indwelling your mortal body. You get the mind of Christ when that happens. Now you have new life. New life plus the word, the seed of God, the life of Jesus, new life plus Jesus in you is a powerful life. Simple formula for a complicated life. So God's seed or his word plus his power equals Christ's life. Christ's life plus indwelling equals new life. New life plus the word or the seed of God is a powerful life. Whose seed did Mary receive on that day? Joseph's? And then he happened to ordain the whole thing? It was the seed of God. The only reason why that Jesus was born without sin in his life is because the seed. The seed that was put in him was from the perfection of the living God. Sin travels through seeds, not blood. The new seed, indeed. The scriptures are, someone want to read for us 1 Peter? Chapter 1, verse 23. Okay, now Luke 8, 15. And then finally James 3, 18. So I guess that kind of leaves us with one simple factor here, is if there's a lack of peace in your life, you need to ask yourself some questions. If you're not peace with all men, even though they're not at peace with you, we are not talking about this new age-ish accepting everything they do kind of thing to get your peace. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being able to stand being persecuted day in and day out, turning the other cheek, being absolutely at peace. That's what we're talking about. You Christians who are being persecuted as I am speaking this, you need to know this. If you can take the slap on the right cheek, you choose to turn to the left as well. Then you give them your shoes. Then you give them your coat. And then you experience the peace 
of the living God seed of righteousness through Jesus Christ in you, you know exactly what I mean by the exchanged life. There are more of you who are suffering and persecution right now that understand the exchanged life than I would guesstimate 90 plus percent of the Americans. You need to be out there preaching these truths of Christ in you. You need to be showing them, teaching them how the power of the mind of Christ, the life of Christ, the seed of righteousness is in you. You don't pray it in. You don't ask it in. You don't beg it to stay in. It is in you upon the moment of your salvation. So give it away. It's free and you don't need to go to advanced education to learn how to do it. Just give it away. Today, when you leave your computer, when you leave your pew, go give it away. Today. Show the persecuted church how Christ in you is the solution to your sufferings. Children of God that can live a lifestyle of humility and brokenness can be lifted up by God. Those who choose not to live like this will be lifted up by Satan and cast down or minimally humbled by God. Yes, God even uses the enemy to blow us off our horses. But he's the one that speaks to us when we're sucking up that dust. Number four in our true and false uh, questions that we've been going through. Number four says a bad thought is a sin. Answer is false. That's turkey thinking. But you kids know better than most adults, I'm afraid. Most of adults surveyed in the Christian church today say that a bad thought is a sin. So, let's take a look at it, and then we'll quit. People think they are who, they, who and what they think. Since Satan knows this, he pushes on mankind to do something, do some stinky thinking by causing them to think their bad thoughts are a result of them being a bad person. Jesus was tempted in all things. Temptation, you go look it up yourself, is to be oppressed by a thought. It is to be intruded upon. It's to get in someone's face and say, you are a liar. It's an accuser. It is a force from without putting, pressing upon you a thought. You are a buzzard. That's how Satan works, because he knows he can't touch you. He cannot touch the property of God. So he tempts. He knew he couldn't touch Jesus, so he tempted him. He said things to him that were simply not true. True statement is, bad thoughts are nothing more or less than temptations of Satan. Even Christ had bad thoughts. Hebrews 2.18 says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The next time you have a bad thought, if you follow that up with you feeling guilty, you have been turkeyized. If you feel guilty for having bad thoughts, you are not set free with the truth. Exactly. 
take it in, think about it, put an action plan together, and have it come out as behavior, you have sinned. If you entertain it in your mind and start doing what they call fantasy thinking, taking action in your mind, yes, you can sin that way. But to be tempted, to have the thought put in your head, no. Tell you what, it gives you a whole lot better edge on your using the Word of God to fight off the lies. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.